0: Cafe, your podcast and source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has 2 ebooks for sale, the nine-book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbimack.com. D-E-B-B-I-M-A-C-K dot under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. Hi, everyone. I'm thrilled to have with me today the creator of my favorite serial killer, or at least one of them, uh, Dexter Morgan. And uh, he now has a new book out called Just Watch Me, featuring his new protagonist, Riley Wolfe. I just finished it, and it's great. And my guest today is New York Times bestselling author Jeff Lindsay. Jeff, it's wonderful to have you on.
1: Well, it's great to be had. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, Tell us about Riley Wolfe and what prompted you to write this book.
1: Uh, Riley Wolf is is a master thief, maybe the best in the world. And the thing about him is for, for Riley, it's not about the money, it's about the challenge. Uh, he had a sort of traumatic childhood that um, made him grow up with two really overwhelming uh, compulsions. And the first is to um, steal things that are impossible to steal. It just can't be done. And the second is, if possible, to steal them from the 1%. He has a real deep-seated grudge, almost a hatred, for the uh, hereditary, entitled people who just, uh, in his mind, wallow in the money and, uh, you know, sort of walk on everybody else with their, their ingrained privilege. So, um, it came because I I wanted to do a new series, and quite honestly, I sort of needed to. And uh, it it was what we like to call a job of work there. Um, I had to go through a lot of different changes, a lot of evolution. And uh, I started with a con man, and I realized it would be more interesting to make it someone that uses being a con man as a tool rather than an end and so Riley Wolfe has those skills and he has an incredible skill for disguises and dialects and accents but he uses those to get inside where you would think no one could go and steal things from the one percent that can't be taken.
0: Very interesting. I don't know if you did this consciously or unconsciously, or if there's even a relationship, but there was part of what I saw in Riley was the saint, actually. What's the what? The saint, if you're familiar with the character the saint.
1: No, I'm not. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, well that's... um. You should familiarize yourself with that character. <laughs> no, then
1: people would say I was stealing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want that. But it just reminds me of that, that mentality, that whole ability to transform themselves mm-hmm. and well, then doing things just for whatever personal reason and having a deprived childhood also.
1: Well, so far I've also been together. compared to um, uh, lay Mis and a couple of other things. So I, I, I guess I'm used to it.
0: well it's a very interesting psychological makeup on this character and i have to say that he's capable of doing some really nasty things when he has to
1: which would
0: make him awfully hard to like if you didn't know his backstory so what did you do i mean what sort of research did you do to get into this backstory
1: well i worked with a psychologist um and i came up with a couple of basic things about him and ran them past her and you know she helped me refine it and bring it to a point um I I don't know every writer who is uh any good at all is at least part psychologist but for me um one of my deep-seated neuroses is that I try to get it um, as accurate as I can so I'd like to work with a psychologist and we um you know we stuck Riley Wolf in the pencil sharpener and kept turning till it was sharp enough.
0: <laughs> well, that takes some doing i mean that's that's quite a bit of work right there. It Did was it, a
1: job of work, yes, ma'am.
0: <laughs> Did you devote a certain amount of time toward the research before you wrote? I mean, how much time exactly
1: um no? the character research uh and and uh, I guess, physical geographical research was a couple of years. Yeah. And wow. hopefully that gets easier with each book. I don't need to do the background stuff anymore, but I do need to evolve it as I go. And um, a lot of the locations in the book are places I've been. Um, I'll admit I had not been to Tehran, and that doesn't seem likely either, but um, Most of the other places I have been, I do know. Um, I I grew up in the South, so I I know all of those places too. And uh, I've lived in New York City and most of the other places that he goes to in the book.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, psychologically, how does Riley compare to Dexter? They both have, um, they both invoke darkness in one form or another um, when they do bad things I noticed. Do you think that they are similar or different in various ways? They're they're very different.
1: Uh, Dexter's a sociopath. um, He doesn't have the empathy bump. He doesn't he doesn't feel for his victims or anything else. With Riley he's not a sociopath but uh, he's he's so driven, I'm sure you've known people who get so involved in doing a task, they get blinders on and they don't even notice that they're doing collateral damage around them. And that's more what Riley is. Um, Mm -hmm. He goes into what he calls the darkness when he, he kills someone, so that it's not, it's like he's not doing it, he's watching it being done, which is to protect you know the, the, the feelings, the psychological background, and so on. He's not really doing it. Whereas with Dexter, he wanted to enjoy every minute of it.
0: Hmm. So the darkness for Riley is more like a um, a denial.
1: Yeah. Yes. A way of for uh,
0: coping with it.
1: Yes. For Riley, there's um, he has a series uh, of rules. I call them Riley's laws. Coincidentally, he calls them that too. And uh, Riley's <laughs> first law is the job comes first. And that means whatever gets in the way of doing the job uh, has to be pushed out of the way. So he doesn't set out to kill people, but if someone is in the way of getting the job done, he doesn't mind arranging an accident. Hmm. Yes,
0: well, um, so, uh, it. What was it like to stop writing Dexter and start writing this character?
1: It was um, it was like getting a divorce or having a loved one die or something. I went through the five stages of grief before I finally retreated into, you know, my normal anxiety and neurosis. And um, I, I really didn't want to stop because all my life I've wanted to be writing a series and I felt like I was in the groove and uh, I think the last book in the Dexter series, Dexter is Dead, available where fine books are sold, um, was one of the better ones of the series. I had a lot of people tell me that, um, you know, and they'd say, why did you stop? You know, you you were really in the groove there. And that's the point. I wanted to more or less go out on top and stop before it started to get tired on me. So I did that, but if I'd realized how hard and how long it would take to move on to Riley Wolfe, uh, I might have thought twice about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, be careful what you wish for, huh? Amen. <laughs> um, can you give us a brief description of the story and just watch me?
1: Sure, um, Riley Wolf Um, Semi-spoiler alert, at the opening of the book, he's stealing a 12-ton metal statue um, in plain sight in broad daylight at its dedication ceremony. And as he's driving away with uh, the money from his client uh, in his bank account, he realizes it was too easy. And everything has been too easy lately, and he needs to do something impossible. Um, because otherwise they will get complacent and make mistakes and it'll be over. So he finds something impossible, which is the crown jewels of Iran are coming um, on an exhibition tour to America, and they will be guarded by um, Star Trek-type technology and a team of uh, retired SEAL mercenaries and a full platoon of Iranian Revolutionary Guard. So it's impossible. It absolutely cannot be done. And Riley decides to do it, to steal uh, some of the crown jewels of Iran. Now, just as background, this is maybe the most amazing collection ever seen anywhere. The, the Iranian crown jewels are, you know, it's a cliche to say beyond price, but they are. One small piece of it, the Darya Enur, is the largest pink diamond in the world, and it is conservatively estimated to be worth 15 billion with a B dollars. So Riley Wolf decides to steal it, and anything more that I say about that would be um, spoiler. So I'll just say Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I particularly like the uh, FBI agent in the story, by the way. Delgado, he's wonderful.
1: (laughs) He's sort of a a nod to my childhood. He's Cuban-American. And uh, physically, he's based on a classmate and friend of mine, Monsi. And mentally, he's based on another classmate of mine in high school. And he just sort of combined to be this... Uh, sort of sloppy looking physically but mentally almost Riley's equal. And um, I, I I thought that added, you know, kind of ratchets, ratchets things up a bit to have the relentless pus- pursuer.
0: Absolutely, yes. Um, what are your plans for the series? Do you have plans in terms of the number of books you'd like to write and where you'd like it to go?
1: No, not at all. Um, I'm not that organized, (laughs) Um, you know, I get up in the morning and put one sock on and I'm not sure what the next one's going to be. I'm that kind of person. But um, if I can really get this rolling in my head, uh, I'd like it to continue for a while. And, um, you know, it's, uh, as I said earlier, it's what I've always wanted to do to write a series. not merely because it's it's easier, but just because it um, it it provides a satisfaction to me that writing solo books one offs really doesn't. I don't know if I can describe why um, it's probably my childhood trauma
0: well i it gives you an opportunity to get into the characters a great deal and tease out what they would do in different situations, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I've always been more about character than, than plot or anything else. It's another reason I worked so hard and worked with psychologists to develop the characters. It's, that's what interests me. Um, even minor characters in my books, I find myself fretting a little bit and, you know, thinking about habits they might have and things like that. And, you know, it's a tick. I know that, but uh, it's what I got.
0: Well, it's a sign of a good writer, too, well, thank <laughs> I, you. I, th- I think. Um, what advice would you give to someone who would like to write fiction for a living?
1: Um, do something else. That would be my <laughs> first piece of advice. The other piece I give, which I'm dead serious about, is learn arc welding. Now, This is like um, one of Riley's laws is uh, never argue with the truck. It doesn't mean literally stand and argue with the truck. It means metaphorically. And mine, learn arc welding, is also metaphorical. What I mean is learn a basic skill that can pay the rent while you're trying to write. Because um, sometimes lightning hits and sometimes it doesn't. And writing is not really a job, it's a vocation. Um, the word vocation, it's, it's based on the same root word as voice, vocal, vox. And what it means is you're called to do it. You can't stop, you have to do it. And if you find that you don't have to do it, that it is a job instead of a vocation, stop, you know, go full-time on arc welding. But, um, for me, for a lot of writers I know, uh, I can't even take a vacation. You know, I, I'll say to myself, I'm going to sit in the sun and do nothing for a week. And by the middle of the second day, I'm writing on cocktail napkins. Um, so that's what it's got to be. And if it isn't that, do something else.
0: Yes, that is so absolutely true. Um, Do you have any particular favorite writers that you look to for inspiration? Uh,
1: Not for inspiration, for enjoyment. Um, Patrick O'Brien who wrote probably the greatest series and certainly the greatest historical series ever Um, and I've reread the series many times and I learned something new each time. Um, It's just it's it enlightens me as a person and a, a writer. Writing currently, um, boy I love Naomi Novik. she's a fantasy writer, but like Patrick O'Brien she's so good she kind of transcends the genre and uh, she's just she's just wonderful and brilliant and I can't say enough good things about her. Um, science fiction is another thing I like and the best sci-fi writer going right now that I know of is John Scalzi. So, but there's a lot of good stuff out there and I like biographies too. And um, believe it or not, I um, I was teaching a college course this year and I saw a copy of War and Peace lying around and I felt guilty because I'm teaching college. I'd never read it. And so I stole it, and uh, I've been, I'm have been i almost finished with it now. And I will return it, I swear. But uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd never read it, and I really should. And it was worth it, oddly enough.
0: I've read it, actually. I agree with you. It is, it is worth it, oddly enough.
1: Yeah, because um, you look at it, and it's, you know, 94,000 pages long, and you go, please. It's like, I'll, I'll get to page 64 and go, okay, that's enough. But I didn't, and I'm really enjoying it.
0: I was surprisingly entertained by it I, and of course informed as well. I mean it, it was just a remarkable book.
1: <laughs> yeah, truly. And it, it had me um sitting with my iPad so that I could look things up, you know, did that really happen or uh, what how long is a verst anyway, which is the Russian measure of distance? And on and on things like that. So, yeah, I'm I, I had a great time with it.
0: Fascinating, isn't it? Um, Yes. Is there anything else that uh, I haven't asked you about that you would like to mention?
1: Uh, Well, when you add that I'd like to mention, no. uh, (laughs) I I would like um, to encourage everyone uh, to go out and buy several copies of this book. Uh, It will make wonderful Christmas presents. And um, if all else fails and you have an uneven table leg, there's always that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, books always make great gifts as far as I'm concerned.
1: Amen. Preaching to the choir.
0: <laughs> there you go. So, um, thank you so much for being here today, uh, Jeff. I thank really you. It's really it's been a great pleasure.
1: It. I really did enjoy it. Thank you.
0: Oh, uh, thank you. I I had a great time. It's all my my Thanks. pleasure. Um, I'll just remind everybody out there who's listening to please check out the Crime Cafe nine-book set and short story anthology, which is on sale on my website, debbymack.com through various retailers, all, all wonderful, uh, where all great books are sold, or whatever that is, <laughs> um, and also my Patreon page is there, so while you're there, check that out, and While you're at it, please leave a review for this podcast. It helps a lot. And on that note, our next guest will be Kathy Stoller. So I will see you in two weeks. And in the meantime, happy